play the first Coast to Coast Pick 5, featuring a sequence from Gulfstream Park in Florida and Santa Anita Park in California every Saturday and Sunday. Both the $1 minimum and 15% takeout are very player-friendly. Players can bet on track or online, usually listed as a separate track in your ADW. Just look for Coast to Coast Pick 5 in the drop-down. If you play on First Bet or Express Bet, you can get a free $10 bet on the Coast to Coast Pick 5 on select days to participate. Do not forget to register for the promotion. Get the Pick 5 sequence, expert analysis, free pass performances, and more at InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash coast. And be sure to check the podcast we'll be doing every Saturday and Sunday for this new special bet. That URL once again, InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash coast. Welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show for Monday, January 30th, Pegasus Day recap show, uh, NFC Championship Weekend recap show. We might get into some of that stuff as well. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again, recovering from a weekend that was just so much fun. I made it to the Pegasus for the first time. I've always been intrigued by the event, but I've had so many conflicts between uh, a certain uh, place out in Las Vegas that we sometimes go on this weekend and going over to the UK to cover the Pegasus uh, per- first time there. And it did not disappoint quite a fun party and a good time all around with some good racing. That's what we're going to be covering on this show. And to do it with me, I have two guests today. The guy you've been hearing the last several weekends or, or Mondays with me uh, doing the recapping from in the money podcast.com. He is Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are you? I'm doing great. Pete excited to talk about a pretty fun day of racing with you. And then we also have uh, who I used to describe and probably can again as the usual co-host of this program. And he's done this show from some very strange places, but this one might take the cake from the sauna. It's Jonathan Kinchin. What's up? Yeah, look, I almost did it again. If we hadn't just got started um, with, the, with the mute button, why not? You know, I'm back. I might as well hit the mute button uh, mistakes as often as possible. Yeah, it's uh, it's my new favorite place to sauna. Uh, I mean, a podcast is from the sauna. It's uh, it's uh, it's nice in here. You know, it's nice in here, and it's 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 sometimes quiet. And uh, it's I gotta wear a long sleeve shirt so my keyboard doesn't get a little. Moist. <laughs> I hear some noise in the background. J.K. is is G on the Peloton in the other room? Whose class is she taking? It she is. It sounds like Hannah Frankson. Okay, good choice. Yeah, sounds like Hannah Frankson. They play. She. They play. It's nice though. She. Hannah Frankson plays a lot of uh, my brother's music, actually. So, well, he's huge in the UK, and that was once again emphasized to me. You know, while seeing uh, while seeing Kygo on uh, on Saturday night, it uh, the, the the English. Uh, girls who were with us young women whatever you want to call them they were huge mk fans and there was actually a false rumor going around somebody was confused this is not a joke there was a rumor going around that your brother was kygo <laughs> i was trying to explain the difference between uh, old school house and uh, tropical house I, I got myself into a bit of a pickle that's very funny yeah <laughs> um yeah and of, of, of all the pegasus pegasuses i've, I've attended um I, I was I didn't have as much FOMO as I would have had 
in some of the previous performances, like right with Nelly, uh, Mace, um, Post Malone, uh, Snoop. Those are all that would have really hit me hard in the FOMO department. I got to be honest with you, One Republic didn't really strike me uh, in the FOMO department. One Republic were good, but I mean, it was really all about Kygo, and I thought he was a good pick. I've said this before on the airwaves, just because it's something that, you know, not only is Kygo huge, but they, there's there's enough for sort of, you know, you think about the racing demographic being a little bit older, definitely a, 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 just very appealing. It's very hard to watch him do his thing, and even if it's, you know, it's largely not my jam, but it's easy to appreciate in the, like, bridging of older music and, and newer music. What are, are you not a Kygo fan? Um, no, I'm not, not a Kygo fan. I'm just not a, Kygo just didn't, wasn't the backdrop of the music backdrop of, of 78% of my life. Like, uh, like Mace and, and, sure. and Nelly and, and, and Snoop. And, and it's just a, just a different, different scenario. The bar was pretty high in other words. So it was more about that. Nick, have you been to a Pegasus before? Now we got Nick I stuck on mute. Yet. No, I, I was I, I was stuck on mute. Uh, switching browsers too. Yes, 2019 is my only Pegasus, and I had a had a good time despite the weather being abysmal. Um, that was Snoop's year, and yeah, Snoop uh, I and had pride, I pried Philly Joe out of there and told him that we were going to drink <laughs> a lot of red wine and eat steaks, and so he was willing to leave. <laughs> That's usually the way to Philly Joe's heart, as we as we know. There was some of that going on later in the evening too. It was a I I just thought the event was great. It works. It works better when you you know like I get it. I, I never didn't get it, but you get it so much more how it really has event wise because of its place on the calendar, like risen to this really uh, really special place, and it's one that I I don't intend on missing. And I would definitely recommend to people to, to get down there, especially if you're like a Northeastern person or an English person looking to get out of, you know, some not so nice weather. It wasn't like gorgeous down there, certainly not by their standards. But, yeah, we didn't have to deal with that nonsense that you guys had to deal with back in. Back and in it's, it's it's one of those situations, too, where like um, a friend of mine, Richard Lewis, actually went the first year and I was at the NHC. But Richard kept telling us how it was the greatest party he had ever been to. And I was like, wow, well, sure, you, you were in the NBA, dude. You got to calm down a little bit. <laughs> Surely you've been to a better party than the Pegasus. You know what I mean? And then I finally went and it is, they do a great job. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's, it's a little bit, it depends on what your vibe is in terms of quote unquote party. It, it is a little over the top. I would imagine for some people, but in terms of like a fun experience outside of quality racing, like the Breeders' Cup and the Derby are amazing racing days, but the party is a little lacking there. It's a little bit old school feeling. It's not this like, you know, club vibe that that is pre- presented at the Pegasus. So like that is one thing I do really, really appreciate about their effort to make it a real experience outside of just the racing, which I think is important to like bring in new fans. Like, and I'm not going to one of those people who's overly obsessed with bringing in new fans, but like, it's important. It, it, it is one of those deals that like, you know, give them something different. If you go to the Super Bowl, it's this experience outside of just football. And I think that that's one thing we've missed in racing is we bring people to Saratoga, but it's really just about Saratoga and the food. There's no experience necessarily outside of the racing portion of it. 
Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, for those that don't know, sort of the those and and you can choose your own adventure to some degree, right? Like Ten Palms felt like a big race day that could have been a triple crown type of a day or or Breeders' Cup, but the party that was that's more over in the carousel from from the jump at at ten thirty, and the vibe there is like Vegas Day Club, and yeah, there's a lot of people in there who had probably never seen a horse. One of my roles on the day was to try to talk to them and get them betting, which I did to, to with with a with with a mixed degree of success. It's interesting. I mean, some people are extremely open to it and, and love the idea, but then there's others that just don't have any action. And I'm like, you could offer them free money to make a bet and they'd rather, you know, sit there sipping their cocktail. So it's it's an interesting challenge, but there was enough conversion that I feel like it's well, an audience that's well worth uh, plumbing to, to try to get them more involved. You feel like you're in, yeah. And at night you feel like you're in a club in downtown Miami. I I highly recommend it. And Nick, if you, I think I know the answer to this, but Nick, if you had, if you got to go to the racetrack one day, you know, and you get to pick where you sit and all, you, everything's perfect, like, like to your, you, what you want, what is the one day that you would go to the track and not miss if that was the only day you were going? What, what, what day is it? Which track is it? What's that one thing? Oof, good one. Non, uh, you know, non triple crown, non breeders' cup. No, no, Probably. mix them all in there. Mix them, no, no, mix them all in there. They're all live. Breeders Cup days live. You can go Derby, you can go Breeders. I think the best experience I had at the racetrack was from like a, an overall fan standpoint was probably a, a Churchill Breeders' Cup where you can sit in, you know, the, the spots that cost $5,000 for Derby, but they cost $1,000 for Breeders' Cup. And you walk outside and watch the race on the ledge um, that's pretty tough to beat. I mean, you're getting an incredible live view. You have a super comfortable place to sit. Probably behind that would be some type of those suites at Santa Anita. I think we sat in them. I know you, you guys have sat in them a couple of times. They're awfully nice. And I mean, that's a, it's a pretty tough backdrop to beat. So, yeah. you know, I know people are going to say, why aren't you saying Saratoga? And the reason is because there's just not that many comfortable places to sit at Saratoga. So where you're going to get a live track view, but obviously the vibe in general and all that stuff is, is pretty tough to beat at Saratoga. I mean, I'm giving you too many answers, but again, I mean, if you're upstairs at Del Mar and you're in one of the, you know, in a comfortable place to sit or you're in a box, that's a great place as well. So I would probably, if, if, you know, had to choose one, I would say uh, Churchill for a breeder's cup, something like that, where you can, can take the, have something to eat, you know, get the comfort as well. That's pretty tough to beat. I like how Nick is subtly cueing us that that he likes to sit in Millionaire's Row without this man of the people persona of his. He's that was exactly people. As my late father noted when we sat down on Breeders' Cup Friday, this is as close to being a millionaire as he was ever going to be. <laughs> Let's dive in and talk about these races, gentlemen. And of course, we'll start with the big one: the Pegasus World Cup, won by Art Collector. Yes, indeed, Art Collector puts up the 107 buyer speed figure. The one thing I saw looking back at the PPs, and we talked about this a little bit. Um, I talked about this a little bit with Duke before the race as well. I wondered if the change in jockey booking there might have signaled a change in tactics. And indeed, that was the case. Believe me, it wasn't enough to put me on Art Collector. Uh, but this is a horse, you look back at the PPs, you see he'd shown versatility, the kind of horse that can win around a one-turn mile and an eighth and also a three-turn mile and an eighth. I just didn't, 
I wasn't convinced he was going to have any kind of trip that was going to work out for him with his uh, seemingly need the lead type. But settling from off the pace seemed to bring out a new dimension in him. I was fairly impressed, even though it completely obliterated my uh, my my wagers in the race. Nick, what did you think of our collector in this spot? You know, I mean, it goes right. It goes to show you that you stick around long enough. Sometimes good things can happen. And I think that's exactly the case with our collector, who you know, probably had about as much exposed form as anybody in this field. So it was hard to to really envision that he was going to summon up enough to, to win a race like this, especially in the manner in which he did, um, as you alluded to. So it was a surprising result. I think it's I, I agree with your observation that the change in jockey likely was a, an indicator that we were going to be looking for a bit more patient type of ride and trip. And, and he got exactly that. The question became, you know, did you really think he was good enough to win in that scenario? And, you know, when art collector had run well over the last couple of years, it had been in very controlled situations against, I mean, even, even compared to this field, vastly inferior competition. I mean, he's beaten horses like Maxfield and Night Ops and Sleepy Eyes Todd and Mask Parade. You know, these are not horses that you would expect to, uh, that you would compare really to what was in the Pegasus, even if it was, you know, a relatively modest race for a grade one. So it was a very surprising result. I, I know, you know, one of the quickest ways to drive yourself completely insane is to go on social media and say that you could have never bet a horse that ended up winning a race. And then everybody in their dog will tell you why the horse was completely obvious. And you know, <laughs> should have probably, you would think they were six to five. And so I have stopped doing it because it is one of the most maddening things you can do. And I'll tell you, the people who did, I looked at some of the replies and not that many people had a good case for, for liking. Yeah, I was going to say, what were they saying? What What did we supposedly miss here? You know, it felt like there were about five or six horses that everybody could have embraced a little bit more than that. But, you know, it goes to show you that Bill Mott with a quality horse coming back off a layoff with a really strong work tab. You know, the other the other disadvantage, of course, is that we didn't know if those workouts were any good. They're up at Payson and there's no clocker up there that's that's publishing anything. So it was a little you know, we were a little in the dark on that. But, you know, good for our collector. He's had a nice career and, and it was a. Uh, I don't believe this was a swan song, right? Is he is he going on with a six year old campaign? I haven't heard. Yeah, but- I heard uh, on the show I, they said yesterday that he's going to stay in at Claiborne, but they're not done. Okay, which they don't need to be done. Like, I mean, I think they need to do. They need to get it, especially. I think there's a couple ways to look at it. I think they he needs a stronger he needs a stronger resume in order to be the stallion. I'm thinking they're hoping he could be, but also like who who are you really scared of in this division? Like outside of Taba, but he's going to, you know, he's going to go to Saudi and then he's going to take three months off. And it feels like there's this, this division is going to be kind of right for the picking for a little while. Yeah. I think that's an interesting observation for sure. And hopefully he will, he will stick around. The pace really held together in this one up somewhat. Uh, I thought somewhat surprisingly, it seemed like the track was kind to speed all day. JK, do you think it rose to the level of, of any kind of bias? Um, you know, I, to be fair, like I, I, I made a big play in the first race, um, of the day with, uh, with Jake's horse, um, and breaker of chains, breaker of chains. And then I thought I like had the second race tied up and some 25 in a, in a 12 to one shot one that I could never make on paper. So I took about a seven race break from the Pegasus <laughs> car and just like stopped watching it. So I, I can't say whether or not I thought there was a bias or not. Um, but as, as far as art collector, this is one of those races that make it exciting 
that still make it exciting when you're alive to a horse that you don't feel like can lose, like a one to five shot, because it's one of those situations where I don't think anyone will argue that on paper, Cyberknife was the best horse. He had run a couple of the best races. He had a great trainer, a great draw. He had everything that was kind of supposed to allow him to run well and to, to be the winner of that race. And he was just empty in a race that was full of a bunch of horses that I don't really know if any one of any of them are really like grade one types of animals that we're used to seeing in these big grade one dirt races. And so like, it's one of those situations where I just had to kind of like, I, I wasn't going to find art collector. And I think horse players who don't accept that as the truth are doing themselves a disservice. I just wasn't going to find them in a race like that. There was much more interesting horses that seemed to figure more that weren't that different in price. You know, a Skippy Longstocking, a White Abario, that O'Connor horse to the out. I mean, those are all significantly more interesting horses to try to make cases for. I just kind of dismissed this as a one of the ones like I was never going to have it. I was always going to be wrong. And there wasn't a circumstance or situation that that I would have then played art collector. You turn the page, you move on, you try to take something from it for next time. But like I said, there's not a whole lot to hold on to. To Nick's point, like the people in his comments weren't making great points about why they picked Art Collector. So I'm not going to obsess over trying to figure out how he won, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's I think that's acceptable. I do think Cyberknife is the one we need to we'll, we'll pause on a bunch of them here. I'll go, But first, I'll go back to your point. Plenty of grade one winners in the race, but no grade one plus winners. And you know how the game has changed these days. There really is the grade one plus that's uh, separates itself from just for, from the typical grade one, those, and those, and we've had so many of those horses specifically competing in this race over the, over the years. So I, I definitely take your point about that. So Cyberknife, second year in a row, we've had a really good Brad Cox horse coming out of the Breeders' Cup, swan songing here. And I guess you could make this an arguable point, but I, I'm, I'm just going to say, I feel like for me, they've, uh, they've underperformed. Could there be anything to that, Nick, in terms of, you know, maybe he just gets everything out of them for the Breeders' Cup, and this is not something he points to. Now, we're dealing with a sample size of two, could be all noise, no signal, but I'd think twice before getting stuck into a Bradcock shorty in this race next year, coming off a huge run at the Breeders' Cup. Yeah, I think pretty tough to argue that point. It's it's uh, It was a disappointing run, and, you know, the thing is, it looked like some of the bad Cyberknife performances that we saw in 2022 where he just wasn't engaged early and he's not a horse that wants to make up a significant amount of ground. So he just never really picked up. The other thing about Gulfstream is, you know, Gulfstream is a very peculiar place and it's a track surface that doesn't, it isn't really duplicated anywhere else. A couple of horses that you could see early were, and, and even with a relatively unskilled eye like mine, I mean, Proxy was under a ride with six furlongs to go. He didn't really run until he got outside. Obviously, he didn't care for the kickback. Horse like riding with Biden, who had you know gotten at least into decent form. I mean, he never picked up at all. And it didn't look like Cyberknife really felt all that comfortable out there, chasing wide too far back. You know, you wonder, I mean, it's it's very interesting from Brad's perspective you know, how much are you putting the screws to a horse that you know you're running one more time? You know, and there is no legacy question here. It's not like Cyberknife is a Hall of Famer or was, you know, verging on Hall of Fame candidacy. So it's like, well, you know, we're going to let the horse kind of take himself into the race and we'll make sure that he's fit. And if he's good enough, he'll win. And if he's not, he won't. 
You know, that's kind of the approach that I would take. And, um, and, and I think they did in a way. So yeah, I would be, I'd be uh, careful with this race in general, because it's always going to bring together an odd mixture of horses in that you're going to have some that are, that are the ending a big long campaign um, and, and, or I guess in a way starting a new, and then you're going to have some that maybe had issues along the way that, that created a, a little bit of a break that they're now coming back from. And I think our collector fits in that category. So, you know, this is the first time he's been healthy this time of year in quite a while. So he, it, he was just a different, you know, a different type of horse and maybe was a, a slightly fresher horse facing some of these horses that had been through maybe a few more battles. You know, this is a horse that all things considered had run uh, basically eight times in, in, you know, a year and a half. So it's really not that, and for a Bill Mott horse, that's really not that much, right? I right. mean, Bill Mott's a, a guy who really runs his horses. So, yeah, to answer your question in a roundabout way, I'd be very careful with horses that are just stopping here on their way out. It was a you know, 107 uh, for our collector matching the career top. JK, what did you have to piggyback there? You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to disagree to disagree, right? But, I, I mean, it feels like there was a couple horses that were on their – maybe not on their way out. Um, but this has been a pretty formful race, right? Like, I mean, Arrogate was, it was him in California, Chrome, Arrogate won. Gunrunner, you know, we knew what he was then becoming, wasn't necessarily on his way out. City of Light. I mean, outside of Mucho Gusto and Art Collector, this has been an extremely formful race. And that was, I think, what kind of caught me off guard with Cyberknife is like, he was the best horse. And in a race where the best horse usually wins because the Knicks point, it's usually a bunch of South Florida weirdos that kind of show up in the race and then like two really dominant world-class horses and, and, and he just didn't run well. And I'll also kind of disagree with like your point, Pete, a little bit about Brad, you know, I think Brad's performed pretty well in this race. I mean, he won it with Nick's go and he would have won it if he didn't have, if he didn't run into, I think a lifetime generational talent and life is good when he ran second, the second time. And those are both off of breeders cup performances. I just think that like, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's it's not like it was a bad. It wasn't a stinker from Nixco. I was just surprised at how easily he was handled. But yeah. there's also the issue of Rosario raiding him that day. You can you can make excuses. I, I may be looking for something that isn't there. I just thought it was I thought it was worth talking about, and it's something that I'll that I'll think about at least going. Uh, going it's forward. it's basically. The, I mean, we all know why Cyberknife got beat, and it's because the owner is oh, cursed. Well. For telling me to shut up and dribble. So <laughs> take that. I do like the fact that you finally pick the horse and then he doesn't run well. After I know it's so unbelievable. Unbelievable. You had the JK on. The JK on after being almost permanently off angle was definitely in play. What about how this track was playing, Nick? I'm just curious to get your your opinion on. It. I mean, plenty of closers won, but plenty of closers struggled to get involved at all, thinking also back to like uh Miles D and and uh, a few other horses I just expected b better of. There were a few overperforming speed horses and a few underperforming closers. But when I look at the charts, it doesn't look like a bias necessarily. Yeah, I mean, and look, a thirteen race card that that went on for what about eight hours, and you only had three four dirt races. So right. it's it's very and and two of them were spaced out between the second and the eighth. So it's it's likely that Mage. Uh, ran on a different surface than Mary Quite Contrary to an extent. I think that would explain why he was about a second faster. Um, I'll tell you yeah. this: it was a it was a particularly slow track by Gulfstream standards. 
Um, it was not very quick at all. And uh, I think that probably had a little bit of influence on things also. Um, you know, it felt to me like, I guess it depends on what your general opinion is of Gulfstream. I feel like the Gulfstream dirt is a surface where you desperately want to be forwardly placed. Um, you don't want to be making up a significant amount of ground, especially at a mile and an eighth. And you really need to be in position at the quarter pole. So, you know, it felt to me like that. I, I think, and I would have to, to do a little bit more work. It won't take much time, obviously with only four of them felt like you probably wanted to be a little outside. Again, that's that's a little more standard for Gulfstream. That's not not particularly surprising, but the race were endorsed one down the middle. There was a brief second where a horse came through on the rail that you thought could be a threat, and I think he finished fourth. So, you know, probably one where you wanted to to maybe favor some of the outside positions, and obviously Art Collector could have potentially taken advantage of that. But, you know, I don't think it's a, it's a racetrack where, and most people who scream about biases don't really know what they're talking about. Um, but I don't think it's one where you could say, oh, my God, there was a, a huge and decided bias. Yeah, it's just it's fairly noticeable looking at the looking at the chart anyway, even uh, as well as watching the replay of the Pegasus itself. Just to, just an example of a pace that that really held together. What pace other operation outside flow type of race? Right. I mean, it was, yep. you know, Stiletto Boy, Stiletto Boy, just from a, you know, looking at the race overall, Stiletto Boy made a, an early move with Mike Smith that you wouldn't have expected. And that changed the pace dynamics significantly. And, you know, it was a race where you probably needed to be a little bit more aggressive, you know, and, and I'll tell you this much, and this is just my opinion and it's not a knock. It's, it's just an observation, but I'm very surprised when Baffert uses Irad on a lot of these speed horses because their particular styles are just about as different as can be. And Irad is a world-class rider. He's the best rider around right now. But, you know, he is not the grab their neck out of the gate and put them on the lead type. And and not that Baffert's horses all need that, but a lot of them are, are really at their best in that fashion. And I'm not saying Defunded would have won the race if he went out and got the early lead, but I think he probably would have had maybe a little bit better chance. So, yeah, just something to kind of keep in mind. And that's why, you know, respectively together, they've not had a ton of success. I wonder if Defunded uh, is one you might be interested in on the switch to somebody else and back in uh, California, sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I could see him using, you know, a guy like Juan Hernandez or somebody that's going to really get after him out of the gate and, and, you know, take advantage of that speed that he has. JK, any final observations about the Pegasus before we move on to uh, some of the other races on the card? I mean, you know, it feels like Tate doesn't have a big year. <laughs> you know, I, and, and, and it, it feels like it feels like Epicenter would have had a big year. It, it just doesn't feel like the older horse situation is is a very daunting one. We'll see what happens with Cody's wish, I guess moving forward and what his distance situation is going to be. But like, you know, I just, it, it feels like Taba is going to, is going to be prime if he can, you know, stay healthy to, to really improve and be that, to be that gun runner type, that, that frosted type where they were really damn good three-year-olds, but they're outstanding four-year-olds. So we'll see what happens in Saudi, but you know, I'd love to see a horse like Taba show up in the Whitney and, and, and maybe even like a Met Mile type of race. We'll see what happens. Let's back up to the Pegasus World Cup turf, a race where the first thing I want to talk about is the betting, which surprised me immensely. I, I figured Ivar would go off a, a strong favorite in this spot, despite the question about the mile and the eighth, and uh, ends up going off of what I can only consider an overlaid seven to two. 
Gets run down by a tone, though, who just quickens beautifully uh, at the end and now has a, a grade one win next to his name. How did you approach this race, Nick, from a betting point of view? And what did you think of the result? Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, talking about Irad, this is like vintage Irad, right? I mean, this is a guy that can be wedged behind horses, stuck on the rail, and still know how to get out. You know, it was like a, a channeling his inner Ramon Dominguez because if you, you you could see from a mile away that somebody was going to get screwed on in this you know in, in the stretch somebody was going to end up stuck behind horses was not going to be able to extend themselves and the stretch at Gulfstream is so short that you have to be tactically positioned well you know Irad saved all the ground still got outside and was able to get his horse to produce a final bid you know look quite honestly this is a race that was won by a horse that lost to three other than six five months ago so you know it's a it's a grade one um, because it's a race that was a grade made a grade one a long time ago. I, I uh, am shocked at how much money Atone took. I don't really think he was going to be 12 to one, but I certainly didn't think he was going to be seven to two and a co-favorite. So they were definitely on to something maybe with uh, some people had noted in his preparation. Obviously it looked like he was training very well also. And, uh, you know, Mike Maker is a guy that's won this race before and certainly knows how to get one ready to run any distance on the turf. He's sort of unfairly been labeled a guy that's only good at at turf marathons. And he had a horse that drew well and got a great ride and was able to capitalize. So it looks easy afterwards. I didn't quite have the insight into it beforehand, though. He was white hot on the day, Maker, of course, running top all three in the other turf race and then winning another race. Maybe that was part of of the betting enthusiasm, as well as those workout whispers. This is one for me that just makes me long for fixed odds. When I wrote this race up for at the races.com on Tuesday, now granted it was one book, but one book had a tone at 33 to one. So he was my top pick. (laughs) And then uh, widely he was available 16 to one then. And it was one of these things. I just feel like this is as a pundit, it's such a tough situation. So normally I go on and I pick the horse early in the week at some big price and they're seven to two. And I say the price is gone, but I've just been annoyed too many times when that horse goes on and win and people, I feel like it's, I know it's the right thing to say to get off the horse, but I worry as a pundit, it makes me be like flippy floppy. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to mess around with, I, I, I told people to still bet the horse at the underlaid price, which I, which I know is wrong, but like, I'm sure, you know, you guys, it's harder when it's only a paramutual market. I feel like it's easier to say, just get off the horse. But when I've already advised people to do it, I feel like I don't want to pick against myself. Anyway, I'm I'm making this more confusing than it is. But JK, what would you do in that situation? Oh, you know, whatever. I mean, I can't, the, the, the nature of how we do this, I don't let it bother me. Like I, I, I can't, I mean, I'm, I don't, I'll switch my damn picks too. Like I don't, you will. Like if someone if someone makes me do something on a Wednesday, then that's what you're getting my opinion on Wednesday. Right. It is now Saturday, so now I'm going to say what I think on Saturday. Like I don't like Andy gets, and I'm not picking on Andy. He gets really worked up about. It. You can see, you can hear him on the air when he picks a horse on Talking Horses, horses, or he scratches into a horse, or like something happens. He gets really into like a oh, well, I, I, I mean, I wanted to pick this horse, but I just am. But I, he, he like won't change it. I don't give a damn. Like I, I could care less. Like. I don't, I don't care. Like <laughs> information changes. I, I, what do you, you know, if I pick, if I pick the cyber knife on Wednesday and then I find out on, on, on Saturday morning that, you know, Bill Mott loves art collector and I kind of liked art collector. I'm not going to then pick 
cyber knife because I picked him on Wednesday. Like, I don't care. Right. Well, that's fair. That's fair. I'm at, I just went with the old gun sticking. And in this case, I'm glad I did because the horse went on and uh, won the thing. And uh, Ivar, I thought, ran a huge race. I, You know, this was not a question of a horse not seeing out a distance. This was a question of a horse finding one better on the day who, as Nick pointed out, got beat with a ride that just worked out absolutely perfectly. Uh, what did you well, think of the result here, Jonathan? I mean, it never takes much convincing to have you include a maker horse, but what, what did you what did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I needed I, I mean, I needed to tone like a couple of times in Saratoga this summer, like in a significant, significant way. So I probably had a bad taste in my mouth. But I will say this about Ivar, like, you know, I'm not sure the distance. I'm not saying the distance is why he got beat, but I'm saying that he probably would have won if it was at a mile. That's interesting. Okay. Like, like, I, I mean, he didn't have an excuse and he ran his race and he still ran well. But, but my thought is, is that at his preferred distance, I think he maybe sees it out a little bit more. He doesn't get caught. He does, you know, I, I just, I don't think it didn't have anything to do with it because he's, I still feel confident that he's the best horse in the race. And if I still feel confident that he's the best horse in the race and he was beat, then there has to be some excuse. Right. And I, I think maybe it was the distance. Where do you figure? Uh, where do you figure Nick they'll go from here? Is Ivar sticking around? Do we know? I don't. I've not read anything otherwise. Again, this is a horse that seems like he's been kind of ouchy over the years, and there's a bit of a hole in the schedule now. You know, we saw horses like Bricks and Mortar and Colonel Liam have to deal with that, and they ended up running in the Muniz on the, the Louisiana Derby undercard. So I suppose you could. You could end up seeing a tone in a place like that. There's obviously a lot of – you could see Ivar – I mean, almost certainly if he's staying in training in the Maker's Mark Mile, um, yeah. whether he ran in a race before that I think would be the real question. But there's a little bit more of a mile series now that the poker has been moved to Belmont Day and it spaces out a little better time-wise that you could run you know, in the Maker's Mark Mile, the poker and the four-star Dave and get to run basically every 60 days, which is what these guys all seem to covet. So – um, yeah, that that could work out well for him, and it could certainly, you know, we'll see what we end up getting with a tone. But you know, look, I, I'm not I'm not meaning to be a wet blanket, and most of you know I'm a relatively positive guy. But we have a massive good horse shortage right now, and so if a tone, even at his you know ripe old age, is getting to be a Grade One caliber horse, I, I say uh, might as well welcome him because we don't have a lot of good horses coming back from. Last year, we're in a breeding market that's obviously incredibly fertile. And so there's so much of an advantage to retiring these horses. And, you know, that's why we're we're grasping at straws for handicapped horses and even turf distance horses. You know, it's a point in time where guys like Chad Brown don't really have particularly strong turf routers in the male division. And, you know, that's why we got our, our lunch money stolen in November at Keeneland. And, and that's why Charlie Appleby will probably be the winningest trainer in grade one turf races in America again this year. You don't imagine him being. Uh, you, you don't imagine him being uh, too scared of uh, of what we saw in the Pegasus World Cup. Our figure did come back okay, a one hundred three for a tone, and yeah, we'll see where those we'll see where those runners go from from here. Another big run uh, from Speaking Scout to get into third in that spot. Any further thoughts on the World Cup turf, or should we back it up to uh, should we back it up to the the Philly race? I'll just say one thing. I don't know if this horse. I don't know exactly how good he's going to end up being, but good governance always suggested that he could have some ability when he was with Chad Brown. He's now run two vastly improved races for Anamia. Watch the replay. This horse was just 
I mean, absolutely stuffed inside the whole way down the stretch. He could show up in a race like the Muniz and go off a bigger price than he should be and, and run run a respectable race. So just one to kind of keep in mind. Yeah, very interesting idea. Hurricane Dream, I also wouldn't give up on off that just based Not on at all. the beginning and the trip. You know, just never, never got involved. So feels like um, a horse that ultimately could be a great fit at Belmont going, uh, you know, a mile and a quarter or so. I think I think more distance is his friend. And they'll have some ugly paper that could hopefully lead to us getting a, a halfway decent price. Um, let's move on and talk about the, the Philly and Mare Pegasus race. Jonathan, we'll let you kick off with your thoughts on this one. I always hate it when one of my favorite trainers beats me. This is what I get for not, uh, this is what I get for not being more uh, respectful of our friends at, at Eclipse and, and Michael McCarthy. I just didn't think the situation was going to work out in this race for Queen Goddess. She had other ideas and uh, I thought it was pretty darn impressive earning the first triple digit buyer speed figure of her career. This one comes back a uh, hundred and they get the money. Did you have this one in your sights beforehand? Yeah, I mean, remember we talked about it uh, on the cross country. I That's think right. it was like, you, kind of you, like a you use it was a use. I was a press A with Shantasaro, but I didn't want to use the others as Bs. I wanted to still have them as As for the coverage. I'm just going to come back with Shantasaro. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is just one of those reminders. I think that 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 uh, Michael McCarthy is one of the best trainers in the country on all surfaces at all distances. And uh, you know, Santa Anita Racing happens late in the day and. There's a guy with silver hair out there that wins a lot of races, but Michael McCarthy, when he has a good one, they stay good. When he has a good one, they get better. And and, and I think that this was just a, a reminder of that. And um, it was funny that morning, I, I, I like got a memory from back when City of Light ran, when I went and when Michael McCarthy and I became friends, I like went and like kind of just hung out one day at the barn and and saw city of light. And then the next day I texted him and I was like, Hey, Jake and I are in the suite. If you want to come by. And he sent a selfie sitting right outside of the stall with city of light. And he said, you think I'm leaving this guy? <laughs> and, and I sent him that picture on, on Saturday morning. And I said, uh, I said, too bad. You're not running for millions of dollars today. He goes, I need it. <laughs> and I, 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 uh, I texted him after the race. I said, congratulations. I'm sure the check's not as big as the last time you won on Pegasus. Day. So, um, you know, she's, she was good. And, and Shantasara, I know Chad was really high on Shantasara on, on Saturday. So for her to run as well um, as she did into the teeth of a, of a horse that, that, that is a, you know, a grade one winner that Chad was high on, I, I thought she ran um, extremely well. Tactical speed in, in these turf races, it, it, you know, it's, it's hard to find a really good horse that can finish like a really good horse that's forward. But man, it's such a weapon. You don't have to worry about trip. You don't have to worry about getting stopped. You don't have to worry about finding a hole, getting shuffled in between horses. You just get to run. And that's what uh, I felt like Queen of Goddess got to do. Or Queen Goddess, excuse me. The question with Shantasara was, were we going to see the Jenny Wiley version or were we, we going to see the uh, the last fall version? And the answer was somewhere in between, honestly. I mean, a f- speed figure-wise, she runs a 96-second, her top being that Jenny Wiley 102, but certainly at least her form arrow pointed back in the right direction. If she stays healthy, she might have, she might still have a valuable prize uh, next to her name at age five. Are you sold that she's uh, going to be able to continue to improve, or do you think this is just the her actual level right now, Nick? I think there could be some improvement. Yeah, I think Queen Goddess still has, uh, you know, she'd gotten a 94 buyer in the Frankel before this, and that was her first start off a pretty, pretty long layoff. So, 
you know, now it's just an odd time of year to have a horse run a lifetime top, especially one that, that you plan on keeping in training. Um, and I'm guessing they're planning on keeping this horse in training because she's five. So I, you know, this could have yep. been a final start before she ends up getting bred, but boy, when you run like that and you remember that the money that's out there in this division, it's awfully hard to turn things off. And, you know, it's worth noting in this race, just from a, you know, from a race flow perspective, I mean, she absolutely just beat the brakes off the other horses that were anywhere near the pace early. And, you know, Delica was a horse that she beat by what, six, seven lengths. So it was a, it was a compelling performance, you know, a little wonky late with the late lead change, but that I think also has a little bit to do with Luis Saez. It was a, it was a good effort. It was an improved effort for Shantasara. Um, so I, it was good to see her running better. I think that, I think the thing with Shantasara is that I think we were all a little, a little seduced by her QE2 when she beat a particularly weak field that day. And then she came back in the Jenny Wiley and she kind of played Regal Glory's game, but it was easy to forget that she got vanned off that day. Something clearly happened. That's why she was off for so long. So she is not back at the Shantasara level that we saw a couple of times in 2021. Um, but she's at least looking more like that horse. And I could see, you know, I could see Chad kind of gradually getting her forward, running at Tampa on Tampa Derby day, and then maybe back in the Jenny Wiley or a race like that. So yeah, it will be good, obviously, to see her continue to take a step forward as well. I thought Lady Rock, I liked Lady Rockstar a lot in this race. I thought she'd run well second off the layoff with uh, with Tyler getting back on, not that anybody had done anything wrong prior. And she ran better, just wasn't quite at the level of those two horses. So I'd like to see Queen Goddess go on with it. Yeah, it's a, it came back pretty quick, I think, all things considered. So that's something to consider when evaluating the form coming out of this race. I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being good form. The other note in here I wanted to make, Nick, is, you know, there was that very well-known story about Wakanaka and all the difficulty that they'd had with being quarantined and this and that. And then they better, like, she absolutely couldn't lose. Like, almost like that information didn't happen. And... I was just surprised and I, I didn't know what to do. At, at the end of the day, I used her, but didn't press her the way I would have and was pretty sure she was an underlay going into, going into the gate. Did, uh, did she have any excuse or was she just not there? Yeah, she was pretty dull. I don't think there was any excuse and it just goes to show you the public is extremely results oriented. So the fact that if you draw a line through the Woodbine mile, which obviously came against males. You know, this is a, a mayor who had won her last two starts against females, including beating Shantasara. And, you know, this is always an exercise. For me, it's an exercise in futility when making morning lines. But, you know, you, you look at Shantasara and Wakanaka and you say to yourself, okay, well, is the public going to latch on to the fact that Wakanaka won the race or the fact that Shantasara was even money and Wakanaka was four to one. And I would have done exactly what Pete Aiello did and made Shantasara a shorter price. As it ended up, Wakanaka went off a shorter price because the public, I guess, just really embraced that they thought that Wakanaka was going to, was good enough to win again and was going to do it again. Um, I didn't really think she'd get quite enough pace to run at, but you know, they better like there was no tomorrow. And yeah, she just never, never seemed to get in gear. There must have been a story around, you know. It was one of it was one of those. There had to be best one of those baseball like uh, in the best shape of her life stories. Um, I think we have about five minutes left. We have an announcement to we have our announcement to get to, um, and I also want to talk Super Bowl very, very, very briefly. Let's do the football first. We had uh, 
pretty fun game last night. We had the closest thing you'll ever see to a forfeit in the early game. That was absolutely surreal. So we had to uh, we had to the Super Bowl getting a matchup that I think you know more questions than answers in terms of the 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 Chiefs' health. So it's a very hard line, a very hard game to make a line on. I'm one of I think six people that survives in that loser pool that I've been talking about. And here's my wise guy idea. I I think what I'm going to do is pick the Chiefs to lose, and I'm going to then attempt to find somewhere in a far off place where I can buy the line up to three and just try sit and watch the game with a big fat middle and uh, and just enjoy myself. That's uh, if I can make the math work, but which which I should be able to do because I'll know by game time I'll know just exactly how much money would be in the pot with a simple uh, Eagles win. So, but what are your thoughts, Nick? Did you, uh, did you have a strong opinion this far out for the Super Bowl? Well, it looks like, um, it, it looks to me like you might get to three on, on the Chiefs plus three pretty quickly. The line just went crazy in the Eagles direction right after it came out, which uh, is no surprise. I mean, I think obviously the Eagles were a pretty, pretty public team all year, you know, just from a health standpoint, it, it, it would the Chiefs did not look good offensively the last couple of drives, mm-hmm. right? And, and if they, the, the I don't want to, I don't want to make the whole thing about the officials, but wow. the they were wearing the, red and uh, white, though. <laughs> well, the, the, right, and and I think the most egregious thing that they did in the final two minutes was, I mean, they missed a gigantic block in the back on that punt return. And, you know, the punt came off that guy's foot. And I thought to myself, that thing is dead flat. That's so returnable. And so they missed a huge block in the back, you know. And then, of course, there's the late hit. But they kind of have to call that because they always call it. But, the, you know, my point, yeah, my point being that offensively, the Chiefs were in a really tough spot. And, you know, now the Eagles that probably have as much, if not more, athleticism on the defensive line, I mean, and any significantly better secondary are going to be able to watch film understanding that some of these receivers are either hurt or aren't going to go. And I mean, I think they're going to be, they're going to be very well prepared. And I also see the, I see the chiefs having a very hard time stopping the Eagles on the ground. So I hope the Eagles are a little bit more committed early in the game to running than they were yesterday. And they kind of, I mean, they had hurts throwing way too many passes early. And to me, I mean, they're all about, we're going to pound you on the ground until you start to weaken, you know, and then we'll be able to do whatever we want. So I think it's going to be an Eagles win by a, you know, a relatively sizable margin. And the only thing that I don't like about that is that I'm going to have to listen to some of the Eagles fans talk about how much they hate Andy Reid when they have no appreciation for him or what he did for that franchise for all those years. The Andy Reid bowl, JK, having done football shows with you over the years, I'm pretty sure you're loving the Eagles in this spot. Um, You know, no, I mean, I think Patrick will, you know, Patrick's going to be healthy. He'll be fine by then. Two weeks with all of the treatment options available for the biggest life, you know, game of, of you know, of quote unquote, his career. He'll be healthy. He'll, he won't be hobbled, I don't think. I think you'll get a normal performance from him. What I will say is one of the things the Eagles, one of the problems the Eagles present to, 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 to teams is, is the fact that they have they make you defend all 11 players in traditional offenses when the, the quarterback doesn't run you, you only have to defend 10, 10 players on the field they make you defend 11 which changes a lot of rules and a lot of defensive schemes um, and I think with three to four days to prepare 
the Eagles put people in a normal NFL schedule and in, in, in a little bit of a bind having to try to cram in all of those defensive line. You have to get lined up to all their formations, their motions, and then you have to then keep gap integrity. And to do all that in three days is very challenging. When you have two weeks to prepare for them, I think that then makes some of that a little bit easier. So I'm not saying that the Chiefs are going to then stop them. It just makes it a little bit easier to not get caught in in really unfortunate situations where you're just completely out of alignment. So I do feel like they will have the ability to to match up a little bit better than it might seem on paper. If this is a one-week preparation game, I would lean more Eagles. But, man – with Patrick Mahomes and the way that he can improvise and the way that he can kind of get himself out of situations, he's kind of always in the game. If you stop Jalen Hurts from running it, it, it does make the Eagles offense look a little bit different. Um, and, and so I'm leaning Chiefs, uh, you know, a little bit early, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I don't, oh, I, I'm not like, this is not one of those situations where I have a huge opinion and I'm going to be, you know, um, you know, making a huge play on this game. It's not one of those deals. I just, I do think that the Eagles offense will be a little bit neutralized, not neutralized. It'll be, they'll be taken down a notch with the two weeks to prepare. I feel like if I'm you and I have your opinion, I'm definitely waiting and seeing if that number gets to three and then, then you might be, then you might have something to, uh, to get behind, but let's get to the big announcement JK that we've been teasing. And you, you basically let the cat out of the bag on Twitter, which is cool. And we'll have a press release coming out about this a little bit later today, but uh, let folks know what you're up to. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, JK plus one was, was a, was a fun thing to do when we were locked in our houses back in 2020 and, and uh, we did 28 episodes and then, you know, the world kind of opened back up and things got a little bit busier and, and those two hour sit downs and four hour editing sessions uh, became a little daunting. And, and so we kind of put it on hold for a little while and, and now uh, we're, we're back and, and I'm actually recording the first episode in an hour um, oh. with with uh, with John Sadler. So we're, we're going to we're going to have a little yeah. John Sadler um, looking forward to talking to him about about uh i told him in my text messages i sent them i said look we're obviously going to talk about flight line but just so you know how fun this conversation can get i'm going to talk about sydney's candy and how uh, the first apartment complex that we bought in austin texas my business partner robert and i named it the sydney after sydney's candy and i also am going to tell you a story about how i watched twirling candies malibu from a texas roadhouse bathroom in grand island nebraska so like (laughs) this is not going to be your typical interview about flight line being the best horse you've ever trained. So, um, and, and, and all of it is, is possible because of our, our, our title sponsor and our friends at, uh, Qatar racing. So, um, so thank you to Sheikh Fahad and, and the team for, for, uh, for believing in the project and, and bringing it back. So we're going to have some fun ones. I mean, I haven't even talked to these people, but I'm going to make them do it. I, I plan on doing a, a video uh, podcast with Chad uh, you know, we'll, we'll do, uh, try to get a little Todd in there, maybe a little Bobby Flay, a little Mike Rapoli. Um, finally, the other half of the most popular podcast we've ever done was Duke Matisse. Yep. I'm going to try to get Paul Matisse. Nice. Um, we'll get a little Sean Borman. We, we got lots of stuff lined up, so it should be a, it should be a fun year of, uh, of JK plus one. That sounds like a great mix. And yeah, we're very excited to partner with guitar racing who are, you know, obviously looking to increase their, footprint and have had loads of success lots of uh, they were all over the the simulcast feed at uh, at Pegasus with lots of uh, 
lots of winning highlights of which I'm sure there will be many more. Yeah, we'll get that release out today. Hopefully we'll get some pickup on that and really looking forward to seeing you back during your thing. And I hope you continue the tradition of mocking me at the start of every show, Jonathan. I actually just thought about that. Yeah, I'm definitely going to start it off the same way. Hello and welcome. I'm not your uh, host PTF. I'm JK. And then just and then every time just making up some weird thing you're doing. I, I'll give is, you uh, one. I'll give you one. I had an unbelievable slip of the tongue on TV. And this fits into the whole boomer thing that you like to torment me completely inaccurately with, by the way. But instead of saying somebody, they, you know, Daryl Williams asked me about the concert. And I said it was Kygo and One Direction. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Not that would be a very expensive ticket if Harry Styles yeah. happened to show up. Yeah. It was it was very embarrassing, but I figured I'd just cop to it before somebody ratted me out. So you can use that if you want. Um, good stuff. Nick, what are you up to this week? You got any uh, any anything cooking? I'm traveling to Florida for my day job, so I'm actually in need of uh, departure at the moment. So yeah, that's it. Just that. Get out of here. All some races and, you know, live, live the life. Great stuff. All right. For Nick, for JK, I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. Well, no, I should give a few more thank yous. Let's thank our founding partners. I'm trying to be sensitive to everybody's time here, but we do have to thank the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. We will thank our founding partner, 10 Strike Racing, and we will thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. And thanks to everybody who said hi at the Pegasus. That made it extra fun. May you win all your photos. 